All right. Well, this is Easter Sunday, as you know, and, and uh, as you think back uh, uh, about Easter, Easter's got a lot of images that come along with it. It's kind of like, like Christmas. There's a lot of, of images that come with Easter. And uh, I know at our house today, we already had some. Anybody else have kids that already had uh, images of Easter at your house this morning? Uh, you know, we had the, 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 the trail of Easter eggs leading over to the Easter basket. That was one image. We had an image of, you know, my, my son Preston in his pajamas. Well, half pajamas and half underwear. I mean, he, he kind of one of those kids that just, you know, just sprawls everywhere. And, and so he's kind of walking until he found the first egg. And then he woke up and his hair is all messed up. And he, that's one image of Easter for me. He's walking through the house looking for his Easter basket. Uh, Peyton's only two years old and he just wanted to sleep. He didn't really care. But we finally got him up and and he didn't care so much about the chocolate, but when he found his Easter basket, he was like, oh, that's, a, that's an image for me. You probably have images too. Everybody's got images of Easter. Chocolate bunnies, the Easter bunny, Easter eggs. Um, you know, some people's images of Easter is the, is the triumphal entry. And when people are waving the palm branches and just in every Jesus movie we've ever seen, you know, <laughs> Hosanna in the highest. That's kind of an image that people have. Um, there's uh, images of, of the palm branches. There's, uh, there's images of, of, of Roman soldiers. And there's images of the crucifixion. And, and you just say the word Easter and it conjures up all kinds of, of images for people. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Some of these images are commercialized. Some that are some of them that we've we've gotten from movies, and some of them we've gotten from from uh, you know from from what media and advertising and things like that tell us. Some of them we have from scripture themselves. Now, I grew up in the '80s. Anybody else here, child of the '80s? Amen. Good. Praise God. It's a good decade to be a child of. Um, I grew up in the '80s, and 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 I remember. And see if if anybody else in here remembers. Does anybody remember the epic miniseries, Jesus of Nazareth? Man, that was like, you, you just knew every year about Easter, that was going to be on. And it was like we all grew up with this image of Jesus with an English accent. <laughs> Anybody else remember that? <laughs> Some of these images, like I said, are, are commercialized. Some are from Scripture. Some are from traditions that our families have told us. Some are from Sunday school um, but listen, I want to say this to you today, that Easter is the most important of holidays. It's more important than Christmas. And the reason is, is because this is the holiday that actually makes us Christians. This is the holiday that makes us who we are. It's not just a traditional holiday, but it's the very holiday that defines the religion of Christianity. Okay, all of these images and ideas and traditions are all great. They're all great things to have. They're all great things to grow up with. They're all great things that you can rely on. Um, but, se- but the part that we celebrate here on Easter actually um, is the one that you don't really have an image of. I mean, you can kind of imagine it. Um, you can kind of think about it. But really, we don't really have a concrete, evidential image of the part that we celebrate because Easter actually brings us face to face with the answer that mankind was searching for since the Garden of Eden days. This is the day that we come face to face with the answers to our sicknesses, 
the answers to our poverty, the answers to the turmoil, the, the answer to not being loved. The, I mean, this is the day that you come face to face with your answer, okay? Now, this part of Easter changes everything, okay? It gives us these answers, and it's actually the one thing that, again, we really don't have a scriptural account of, all right? Today, we celebrate the resurrection. And that should have been a good spot to amen right there. We celebrate the resurrection today. The resurrection that Jesus came back from the dead. Okay? Now, nowhere in Scripture can you actually read what actually happened. Now, we all have images of it. We all have thoughts and ideas, and we all think of, you know, maybe uh, smoke filled the tomb and lightning struck where, you know, where he was laying, or, or we have this idea of, you know, like the, the Star Trek, maybe he just got beamed back into his body, and he kind of, I mean, we all have, all, you know, and the, like thunder and the, the stone just boom, moves, and I mean, we have all kinds of ideas, you know, I mean, I was at a, at a large church in Oklahoma for years, and, and we did an Easter play every year, and we built the tomb, and we rolled the tomb, you know, the stone out of the way, and, and Jesus walked out in a glowing white, you know, it was, it was like, he went in with this tattered and torn thing, and he came out with this, like, silky thing that they'd put black lights on, and they'd hold his hands out like this, and it would glow, and, and everybody would just, oh, oh, it was wonderful, and we all have an idea, but really, there is no scriptural evidence for what happened. We know it happened. We're a side result of what happened, but we don't really know what happened. But um, that we do know this: that day something changed. Okay, the day that that this happened, all of us who were separated from God were reunited with God. And even though we don't specifically know what happened in that tomb. We do know that we can stand before God today. When everyone else that, was, that has ever been born on the, on the face of planet Earth are now born to, to, to have a relationship with him, all right? At that point, there had to be a sacrifice made, and it was made. Now, I'm not going to go too into a big, long, a big, long history here and, and, and talk about the entire human race, but I am going to give you a little bit of background here. From the days of Adam and Eve, and we all know this story, correct? Anybody here not know the story of Adam and Eve? <clears throat> that basically, they were put in the garden, and they were sat there, and Jesus, or God told them, he said, listen, you can eat of any tree here, but don't eat of this one. And he actually says these words. In Genesis chapter 2, he says, don't eat of this tree, because the day that you do, you will surely die. Now, we all know what happened. The snake talked to Eve, and, and Eve ate of it, and then she gave it to Adam. But how many of you know they didn't die right then? I mean, it's not like they took a bite and it was like poison and they just dropped dead. It didn't happen, did it? There had to be something else that, that God meant there because he actually used the word in urgency. He actually used the word, in that day, you will surely die. So what was he talking about there? Because he wasn't talking about just killing over from eating an apple like Snow White. <laughs> You know, it wasn't like you're just going to crunch and poof, down you go. He had to be talking about something else. And here's what he was talking about. In that day, you'll be separated from me. That's what that word to die means, to be separated from God. That, and and in, other, in other circles, they like to use the word spiritually dead. And, uh, <clears throat> and right after that, 
God came walking in the garden, and Adam heard his voice, and he got scared, and he went and hid himself, and he goes, I was afraid because I was naked, and God had to tell him. He said, who told you you was naked? Have you eaten of that tree? And so we know this whole part of the story, but here's the part that I really want to talk about today. In Genesis chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up over there to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to verse number 21. Now up to this point, Adam and Eve were naked in the Garden of Eden. Nope, they didn't even know they were naked. They didn't, know any, they didn't think anything weird about it. They didn't think it was, you know, I heard another theologian say that they were actually clothed with the glory of God, so they didn't even, they didn't even notice it. But the moment that they sinned, the moment that they messed up, in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 21, Jesus, or God is telling them everything that's going to happen to them. But in verse 21, it says this, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin. He made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now, where do you think the skin came from? We're not talking like, he skinned Adam and Eve and made, you know, <laughs> he didn't do a Hannibal Lecter here. <laughs> right? he, he, he actually had to go and kill animals, pull their hide off, and make clothes for Adam and Eve. This is the result of sin. The only way that sin can be dealt with is the shedding of blood. From the very beginning, from, I mean, from the time they walked around naked, God had to go kill an animal in order for them to be covered for what they did wrong. Sin has always only been handled by the shedding of blood. Now this is gruesome, and some churches don't even like to talk about this anymore. Some churches will tell you we don't like to talk about the blood, that's too gross, that's too gruesome. Listen, if there's no, the Bible emphatically says if there's no shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So it can't be something that we're scared to talk about. But at this point in time, this began, began a generations and generations of animals being killed and sacrificed in order for that blood to cover up the sin of man. You know, uh, again, some of you have been probably watching the Bible series on the History Channel. And uh, you probably saw when Moses, just a few weeks ago, Moses, they had the Passover and they, they took the... The, uh, the, the lamb and they, or the goat and they killed it. And, they, and, and what was it that saved the Israelites from the, the death angel that passed over Egypt? Blood. See, this is the way sin has always been handled. It has always been handled by the shedding of blood. Why is that? Why is it that blood is the only thing that handles, that handles sin in our lives? Here's why. Because God told them, in the day that you do this, you will surely die. Well, where is, your, where is your life found at? It's found in your blood. And because, because there's life in your blood, when you spiritually die, the only thing that God recognizes between life and death is blood. So it's not a gruesome thing. It actually is a very beautiful thing because that's where your life resides. And so that's the thing that God recognizes. We are born separated from God. And Jesus dying on the cross was the shedding of blood... But because of the resurrection, that blood never had to be shed again. All right? Because uh, instead of covering up the, the sin for man, this ultimate sacrifice cleansed man. It made them new. But why is it about Jesus' blood that, that was so special that once it was shed, it never had to be shed again? Well, Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 5 says this, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted, just like we are, yet without sin. 
yet without sin. And the reason Jesus' blood shed once is because it didn't have sin in it. See, we're born with a genetic disease. There's lots of talks about genetic disease. There's talks about cancer being tracers that go through people's bodies and, and, and it goes into their kids. And, and you might have genetic markers. Anybody ever heard that kind of stuff? The term genetic markers for cancer or Alzheimer's or you know, alcoholism. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can be passed through the genetics. Well, sin is the ultimate thing that's passed through our genetics. But Jesus came and he had the cure because he never sinned. All right? So, with all that backstory, let me say this to you. The resurrection changed everything. What did it change? The fact that Jesus rose changed everything for you, the person sitting next to you, your, your uncle that, that, that you can't stand, <laughs> your brother that used to get on your nerves. The resurrection changed everything for everybody, all right? Matthew chapter 28, verse number 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The resurrection changed everything, all right? Let's talk about the first thing that it changed. The resurrection changed the beating that Jesus received to the healing that all men need. Does anybody know anybody that, 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 just, that never needs healing? I know there was a movie that came out a few years ago with Bruce Willis in it called Unbreakable. Did anybody see that movie? And he never got sick, and he never, you know, it's just like, and he never even thought about it. But he finally went and asked his wife, when's the last time I was sick? And he was kind of this superhero that never got sick, and he didn't even know it. This, this doesn't exist. <laughs> Every person needs healing from time to time. I mean, whether it's, you know, a cut on your finger from a paper cut or a sickness or a disease or, or, or a break in your leg or whatever. Listen, there are all kinds of variations of healings. And it's the resurrection that changed the beating that Jesus received to the healing that all men need. But let's go over to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse number 1. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Now, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. He had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked, and they slapped him across the face. Now, listen, we read, we read that, and, and we've, we've seen images of that, and, and we've seen movies that have that depicted in it. And this is a terrible thing. But you know, in the Roman Empire, this happened all the time. This was common practice. I, I don't know how many of you have ever been familiar with, uh, with the term, the cat of nine tails. I think we have a, a picture of one. But the cat of nine tails was, was not just a whip, but if you see there on the end of it, it had little pieces of bone and, and, and metal and rocks woven into the leather. And so when they would beat him with it, it wasn't just leather crossing. I mean, listen, I, I don't know about you, when, when I grew up, I, I experienced leather across my backside a few times. Anybody else, their parents know what I'm talking about? <laughs> my dad could have his belt off with one, just one quick jerk. And it was just like through all the loops, come out and fold in his hand in the air. It was like a Jedi trick almost. It was like, <laughs> how did you do that? And I experienced leather across my hind end a few times. But this isn't the same kind of leather that we're talking about here. This is, this is leather that is meant to not just whelp the flesh. This is leather that is meant to tear the flesh and rip the flesh. 
And this is a very gruesome thing, and, and, and it's a terrible thing, but this is something the Romans did all the time. They would beat prisoners, and actually when they use the word flog in the New Living Translation, actually in the King James Version it says scourged. Scourged meant to beat somebody literally half to death. Okay? This beating was on Jesus' physical body. This didn't happen spiritually. This didn't happen somewhere, you know, out in the heavenly somewhere. This happened here on earth in Jesus' physical body made by physical soldiers with a physical whip that was assaulting Jesus' physical body. Now this right here was the price that Jesus was paying for our physical healing. This became the answer for when sickness, disease, Injuries and other physical abnormalities happened to you. This was the price that Jesus was paying to take care of those things. God's plan was to pay for your healing through his son's physical body being destroyed. Isaiah chapter 53 verse number 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes... You were healed. First Peter 2.24 almost says the same thing. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Listen, this was, again, common practice for the Roman Empire, but if the resurrection doesn't happen, if he doesn't walk out of that grave, this is just another man that took another beating in another day. But because Jesus sat up in the tomb, took his grave clothes off, come on somebody, and he folded them up and laid them down on the grave, he walked out of that grave and was able to pay for me and you to be healed. It wasn't just something that he took on his back and said, oh, that's a terrible part of the story. No, he got up, and when he did, those wounds didn't just, they, they turned into just a, from a beating to the treatment for your sickness. They turned into the treatment for your healing. They turned into the ultimate medicine that you need in order to get better. I can expect to be healed based on Scripture because of the resurrection. Jesus didn't just get beat for the heck of it. (laughs) Okay, I can now expect the flu to vanish. I can expect cancer to leave. All right, I can expect heart problems to be corrected. I can expect deaf ears to be open, blind eyes to see, broken bones and torn ligaments to be put back together. Why? Because of the resurrection. Jesus walked out of the grave and his beating turned into treatment for me. The resurrection changed everything. The resurrection also changed the death of one man to life for all men. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 18. I hear no pages. I think we, we put these scriptures up on the screen and everybody's like, well, we'll just wait for it to pop up there on the screen. First Peter chapter 3, verse number 18. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us, come on, this is good right here, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8. Verse number 10, and Christ lives within you, so even 
Though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, this is verse 11, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit, come on, who lives within you. And lastly, John chapter 14, verse number 19. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, and this is the best part right here, because I live, you will live also. Listen, we're talking about common practice in the Roman Empire and how the resurrection changed, changed everything. But listen, you know the crucifixion was a, was, was a common thing. I mean, it was, it was common. I want to read to you a little something I found. Uh, I was doing some research on exactly what crucifixion was, and, and it's, really, it's really more than just nailing somebody to a tree. It, it actually made a statement. The Romans killed thousands and thousands of people on crosses. Crucif- crucifixion was often performed, now look, catch this, to terrorize and dissuade its witnesses from perpetrating particularly heinous crimes. Victims were left on display after death as warnings to others who might attempt dissent. Crucifixion was usually intended to um, provide a death that was particularly slow, painful, hence the term, now this is where we get our term excruciating from, literally comes from the word crucifying, It it means excruciating. It was meant to be gruesome, humiliating, and public, using whatever means were most expedient for that goal. This happened regularly. This was not an uncommon thing. We look at it as just like, whoa, that's so weird and uncommon because, you know, know, the the way that we handle justice here in the modern world, it's not really anything like that. To put somebody on display in front of the whole world. I mean, human rights did not exist in the Roman Empire. There was no, there was not like an attorney standing there for the guy hanging on the cross and be like, I'll be contacting you guys shortly. (laughs) There was no human rights there. These guys were hanging there as a, as, a, as a public display, and it happened all the time. This was one of the mill for the Romans to kill people like this. But again, the resurrection changed everything. It wasn't just another crucifixion. It wasn't just another prisoner guy who was hung on display for the whole world to see and for, for them to say, now don't you even think about trying to do what this guy did. It was more than that. The, the, it, was, it, was, it was the ultimate substitution for you. When Jesus, or when God told Adam and Eve, in the day that you do this, you will surely die. This was Jesus dying for you. This was not just another death sentence. It was not another public execution. It was actually Jesus hanging in your place because you should have been put on display. I should have been on display. We should have been on display being paid for our own sins. We should have been a greasy spot in the universe. But the resurrection changed it from just another prisoner dying to you being set free, you being made alive. I can go now and stand before God and find the answers to my problems because I've been made alive because Jesus walked out of that grave. We've been made alive because Jesus died and rose again. Listen, I've been bad. How about you? Anybody else in here been bad? I've been bad. I'm never going to be good enough. You're never going to be good enough. I can never stand on my own in the presence of God. But listen, I've said it a million times already. The resurrection changed that. 
Okay, the happiness to my depression, I can go stand in front of God and, and, and expect. The job, come on, the job that I need to get my finances met, I can go stand in front of God and, and actually expect it. Listen, some of you have been faithful at your job somewhere. The raise that you deserve, listen, you can go stand in front of God and expect it. Why? Because you're alive now. You're, an, you're a live person spiritually who can stand in front of a living God and expect him to, to meet your needs. I am alive and can receive from God everything that I need because the resurrection changed everything. And lastly, the resurrection of one man changed all men to a place that he could live. John chapter 14, verse number 20. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, to them God willed to make known uh, what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is this, Christ, not somewhere else, not just out there, not in the sweet by and by, Christ, come on, in you, the hope of glory. Now listen, we already discussed this, but we were all born separated from God. We were not somebody who God would want to live inside of. We are not somebody that God would look at and go, I would like to make my dwelling place there. But the resurrection changed that. No matter how good of a person you've been in your life, no matter how bad of a person you, you, you've been in your life, listen, God doesn't, didn't want to live inside of us in our, in our current condition. We can be, you know, penny perfect, or we can be, you know, the lowest of the low. And God didn't want to live inside of us. He couldn't live inside of us. He was literally not able to live inside of us. Because we weren't worthy. We were not, we were not that. But the resurrection changed that. Now, not only am I good enough to have a relationship with God, but he can actually come and live inside me. He can actually live in my heart. He can actually have 24-7, 365 access to me. How many of you in here have ever bought a house? If you buy a house, you, you don't want to go and, and, and live in a house that you go and look at, and it's just not really fit to live in. You know, my dad flipped houses my, my whole life. He would, he would build houses, and he would buy houses and flip them and, and fix them up. You know, Taylor and Bianca just closed on their house and just moved in the other day, and I saw pictures of her, and this is kind of what inspired me. She was in her, in her kitchen cleaning, and, then, and when we saw her after that, and she was like, well, that was just to get it to the point of moving in. But, you know, I, I saw many houses that my dad, my dad would buy, and, and we would go and, and walk in, and it would just be awful. You know, the carpet would be more than just stained. I mean, it was like animal stuff everywhere. I mean, we're talking disgusting. You know, mold growing in the walls, you know, rot in some of the floors. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And there were other times my dad would buy a house, and it wouldn't look that bad until you start going and peeling back the layers a little bit, and you'd go and, and check out something behind the wall, and there would always be something that we'd have to fix and something that we'd have to change, and something that we would have to replace. But once those things got changed, and once those things, listen, those, those became dream houses for people. People that would, had never thought about even owning a house, would, 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 my dad would sell them these houses. And say, so here you go, and, and people would move in, you'd think you gave them a million dollars. And they were dream houses for people who, who would, used to live on the street, and never, you know, didn't have anything. And now they're living in a house somewhere. I want to say this to you today, because of the, the resurrection, now catch this, because I almost shouted when I wrote it down. 
you became God's dream house. Come on. You became the house that he always wanted to live in. You became the house that he desired and he would put pictures up. You know, I know people that put pictures of the house they want up so they can see it and be driven. Listen, that's you. God put that up there. And, and when it became, this is where I want to live. This is the person that I want to be inside of. That's how much value he, Jesus' resurrection gave to you. You became God's dream house that he wanted to come and live inside of. It wasn't just a, a dream of his anymore. It became a reality for you. It it became a reality for me. It, we became the place because of the resurrection that we could be a place that God's very presence, come on, could dwell inside of. He didn't have to live in a temple anymore. He didn't have to live in an ark anymore. He didn't have to live behind a veil anymore. He could come and actually live inside of you. He could actually take up his residence inside of you. Listen, that talks about the value that you have. If you're a dream house for somebody, we're not talking something that's just low down, cheap, the floors are falling in. No, listen, you've got the best on the inside of you. You've got a pool in the backyard. You are a pool in the backyard. You are the, the perfect sunshiny weather. I mean, you are everything God wants to have in a house. That's what God's Jesus is resurrection made for you he put it into you because you are where he wants to abide the resurrection changed everything for us because that is what changes us to be the dream house for him and I want to close by saying this why does the resurrection change everything what is it about that day I mean okay he rose from the dead there were other people that rose from the dead in the Bible there's a scripture of a, of a soldier that they threw in the tomb of Elisha. And as soon as he touched Elisha's bones, he stood up and walked out. There's another story of a guy named Lazarus. Jesus himself raised him back from the dead. There's a story of the little girl that was, that was laying there dead, and Jesus walks over and puts, his, and puts his hands and says, little girl, get up, and she raised. This wasn't, Jesus isn't the only person to be raised from the dead. If you go and study some of the real famous evangelists, you know, Smith Wigglesworth, they documented nine people he brought back from the dead. There are all kinds of cases where people have come back from the dead. There's a book called Beyond and Back that Jody's pastor, when she was a kid, wrote uh, when, when, when she was growing up. I mean, some of you probably read it in the 70s. It was real popular. Everybody was reading that book. You know, about beyond, you know, they would go and, and then people would see Jesus in the light and the tunnel and all that kind of stuff. And they would come back. There, that's not an uncommon thing either. People come back from the dead all the time. All you got to do is flip on Grey's Anatomy on Thursday night and watch them bring somebody back. I mean, it happens. <laughs> Clear. It happens. This isn't something that's uncommon. What is it about Jesus' death and resurrection that changed everything? Why? Because that was the day that the job that was the redemption of mankind finished it was when he rose from the dead that he finished everything it took to finish us and in doing so he actually put satan who was the god of this world and and, and in some cases still is the god of this world he put satan on display colossians chapter 2 verse 15 and we'll close with this scripture having spoiled come on principalities and powers he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it this was the day that he walked out and he put himself on display and said i'm alive i have defeated 
Everything that would ever come against you, every problem you will ever have, I have defeated. And when he walked out of the grave, that was the evidence. That was the proof. That was the day the job finished. When he rose from the dead, that was the last step. And by doing the job of redeeming mankind, we are able to stand up and say, I'm part of him and he is part of me. No other world religion can take you to an empty tomb today. No other world religion can take you to the tomb and say, their God lived there, lied there, but he's not there anymore. Jesus rose from the death. Listen, his birth was miraculous. His ministry on earth was incredible. His betrayal was dramatic. His beating was brutal. And his death was historic. But it was the resurrection that changed everything. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, thank you for our time together today.